0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I I, I wanted to break this passage down into three sermons, but I I, I made it into one. So it grieves me that we're going to be going through 13 verses this morning, but I, I just thought that the thoughts flowed together in a way that I needed to put it together. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and our text this morning will be verses 1 to 13. Listen to God's word this morning. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happen as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle our text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word this morning, I pray you would help us to set away the distractions of the week. I pray that we would be a worthy people to hear your word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. We know that nothing good will come out of it unless your Holy Spirit teaches. And so I pray that you will instruct our hearts this morning. Protect your word, I pray. And may you use your word as you see fit this morning to build up, to break down, and to harden and to soften. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, build your church here today. As we go out more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, because we have seen him in the pages of Scripture. In your name, amen. We've probably all heard of the city of Sardis. It was a city that was built on the top of sheer cliffs that was almost impossible to climb. In fact, it was so difficult that it, it was never it, the, the residents there basically didn't even guard the walls anymore. Because who could climb up it? And then once you got up to the top, if you could scale that cliff, how are you going to get through the walls? In fact, they became so confident that they forgot to start to check their walls. They forgot to check their defenses. And what they didn't notice is there started to be cracks in the walls... Of their, around their city and these cracks continued to grow but nobody noticed because no one was checking and soon they got large enough that people could get through the cracks and one historian says that there was a soldier who was sitting on top of the wall and he dropped his helmet and clank 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 went all the way down the cliff And the enemy was sitting out there and he said, well, I need my helmet. So he climbed down the cliff because he knew the way and he picked up his helmet and he came back and they watched him. And so the city was sitting there arrogantly believing in overconfidence that no one could get up the cliff. And even if they got there, they couldn't get in. Only to wake up to be surprised that the enemy had not only scaled the cliff, but had gone through the cracks in the walls and was now all through the city and conquered them. And they had become complacent because they were overconfident and they were so confident in their position. They were so confident in the walls that they had built in their defenses that they couldn't conceive that anybody could conquer them. Yet it was their very overconfidence that cost them and ended up their own demise. And this morning, as we look at this text, this is really what Paul is talking about, an overconfident people, people who are so overconfident in their position in Christ and then so unconfident in their ability and their spirituality that they are susceptible to falling just like this city. The Corinthians have believed that they are mature. We remember back in in verse chapter 8. They're mature believers, right? They can exercise their their rights. They can exercise their freedoms. They can play around the edges at the temple, right? Maybe they can even go to temple worship as long as they're worshiping God, or they won't get sucked into the immorality and all of those things. They can eat the food after all they're strong. And so there's a confidence. After all, remember they were bragging about their teachers. They've been taught with by the greatest. They got the greatest teachers and the greatest theology. They're strong. And maybe there's a part of them that's starting to believe, you know what? We can live the Christian life on our own power. After all, God probably needs us. And so there's this overconfidence that comes. But Paul says, Hold up, hold up just a little bit. I just told you in chapter 9 that guess what? I don't want to be disqualified from service. I don't want to be disqualified from spreading the gospel. I don't want to be the one that, after telling others how to live, becomes disqualified myself. In fact, he ends chapter 9. With this verse, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that I have, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And he says, It's possible for me, even as a believer and even as someone who's been called to share the gospel, that guess what? I can be disqualified by my behavior. Because I exercise my freedoms and I exercise the things that I want to do to the detriment of the gospel. So he says, I make sure I keep my flesh in check so that my flesh doesn't overcome me. And I end up being disqualified. And so as we go into chapter 10, Paul is really continuing on with that thought. He says, "For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. And so now he moves from the singular, hey, guess what? I could be disqualified to the idea, guess what? You Corinthians, in spite of your strength, in spite of your maturity, could also be disqualified from God's service if you're not careful. And so this morning, Paul is really directing a a charge against their self-confidence, their overconfidence. And he says to them, listen, be careful. Because your overconfidence could lead for you to be disqualified. And so this morning, as we look at this text, he, he really gives for us this morning he says here's the cause of overconf- uh, overconfidence here's the consequences of overconfidence and then as he comes to the end he says i'm going to give you the cure for overconfidence and so he's going to just walk us through this text as he gives us an a historical example of people who thought they were in a good position just like the corinthians who ultimately were disqualified from service from god So first of all, we see here this morning the cause, the cause of overconfidence. He says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, he says. So he says, listen, I want you to know that our forefathers, and he's speaking here of of the Israelites... And in some ways, you're going to say, well, he's speaking to a Gentile audience. In some ways, maybe they represent God's people, just like the church does. They are those who are called out by God to serve him, just like believers are called out in the New Testament to serve him. He said they were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And he says, now notice this. All, all the Israelites were under this blessing, right? You didn't have to be a believer here. All of them were called. All of them in the group were called under the cloud and passed through the sea. In other words, when Israel was delivered out of Egypt, they all came through. They followed the cloud. The cloud led them out. They went across the sea. And they passed through the sea. And so God now deliver, has, is delivering Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, and bringing them to freedom to live under him. It's recorded that, of course, that a pillar of cloud went and led them by day, a pillar of fire by night. And he says, they all passed. They were all, there was divine deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And in many ways, you could say this reflects the church, right? The church now has been delivered by the the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us salvation like he saved Israel out of the land. So too, we have been saved from the wrath of God and from the power of sin. And we are a redeemed people set apart for him. And so he says, listen, here's what's going on. Israel has been pu- pulled out of the land. They have been saved by God. God has set them apart for himself. He says, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, some people see baptism here, right? The Presbyterian would say, well, obviously this is sprinkling, right? They went through the cloud. The clouds got a little bit of, a little bit of water, right? Baptist says, no, no, he went through the sea. They, he was totally dipped, Right? Both are wrong because what? They walked on dry land, right? But he says they were what? Baptized into Moses. What do we mean by that? They were really just under his leadership, right? They, they were identified with Moses. He was now God's leader appointed over them. And now they were identified with him. They were under his leadership. He'd been given divine power to be their leader a solidarity solidarity underneath him and in many ways the church is the same way we are under the under the leadership of the son of God the Lord Jesus Christ under the direction of those who preach and teach the word of God in this place and we have become one people together under the lordship of Jesus Christ as we meet so he says, there's a solidarity that's happened here. They're under the under the leadership of Moses. They've been delivered. They've been given leadership. And it says, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. You're saying, well, how do you drink spiritual things? Right? But what he means here is not that the food was spiritual or the drink was spiritual, but that it was provided spiritually. It was Provided supernaturally, we remember the the Jews in the desert. They were eating what? Manna, manna from heaven, right? It was a, there was a supernatural event there. They were drinking water, right? They were drinking water out of a rock. That's not normal, right? That's why we say, what's the saying? It's easier to get money out of the uh, get water out of a rock than money from the pastor, right? <laughs> Because we know it's impossible to get water out of a rock, right? Well, again, God was providing for them. He provided for them physically. He he provided for them so that they could eat and drink as they went through the desert. So God sustained them. He was miraculously fed them and watered them. Divine provision. And then it says, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And that's what he's saying. What he means by spiritual water is the source of the unspiritual of it was the spiritual rock, not the rock that Moses struck. The real source was a spiritual rock who was Christ. What does that mean? Christ was alive then. And he is now. This is a great indication. The scripture that Christ's life didn't begin at birth. He was alive in the Old Testament as much as he was in the New. And he is caring for his people in the New Testament as much as he is in the New. Interesting thought, isn't it? Have you ever, ever come here to defend Christ's being eternal and it's beginning before the foundation of the world. Isn't, there's just truths that fall out of the word of God. And when we defend the Lord Jesus Christ, it's everywhere, isn't it? He is ever and always the redeemer of, a, of, the old, of an old covenant saint and the new covenant saint. And he is ever and always the shepherd of his people in the old covenant as well as the new and so as he provides for us now, he provided for them. And the real source of water was not a rock. The real source of the water was the rock providing for them. The rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had all this provision. They had all of these privileges given to them. They were, they were God's people. They were set apart. He was providing for them. He gave them leadership. He gave them direction. And then this shocking part in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Shocking statement. And a bit of an understatement, wouldn't you say? he says not many well how many what how, how many actually made it over the age of 19 how many two right joshua and caleb two of the whole nation of israel and he says god was not pleased he was not well pleased a shocking statement here were people who were called out by God, who had all the blessings of God, who had rescued them, had saved them, provided for them. And yet, what? There was a presumption on God's goodness, and they failed to please Him. Now, look at the Corinthians. We're mature in Christ right we're mature in Christ we 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 have liberties we can we're we can we can do whatever we want right we've got the teaching we've got everything and Paul is just throwing it down and saying here listen Here's the problem. You guys are presuming because you're saved and you got into the race, as Paul said earlier, that somehow that God needs you and that you can't lose this race. And he says there's a danger in starting to think that because you're saved and you're in, that now you can coast and you can do whatever you want. But Paul says there's actually a danger of what losing your ministry and losing your effectiveness for God because you have presumed on his blessings. And you think because he blessed you that somehow that's good enough. And he says there's a danger of you using the blessings of God and the things he's given to you to actually promote your own program and not his. And don't think because he saved you that somehow everything that you're doing in your life is pleasing to him. And he says, look at Israel. They got the, the blessings of God. They had the liberties that were given to him. They were the freedoms. They were freed from Israel. Free, free I mean, free from Egypt. And yet they didn't please God. And it's possible to be a believer and not to please god because you have presumed because of god's blessing in your life that that's enough well that presumption we could say leads leads to consequences to consequences look at verse 6 now these ha- things happens as example for us that we would not crave evil things as they also craved In other words, the example of Israel being set aside, they were set, right? That whole generation of Israelites was supposed to go into the promised land and God set them aside from his purposes because of disobedience. And he says, guess what? That's an example for you. That's an example for the Corinthians church. You too must learn from them and see that this is an example. Let this be, basically, this is an imprint that was like on a coin. He said, let this be imprinted on you. Recognize what took place so that you would not crave evil things as they craved. In other words, they didn't take their freedom and, and their privileges as being called out as God's people to serve them. They craved what? Evil things. They didn't, they didn't follow after him with a whole heart. Instead of being, like Paul said, self-disciplined earlier, he said what? They, they used, gave into their flesh and desired evil things, things against God. And then he lists really four sins that they fell into. And he says, because they, because they presumed on God and because they presumed of their position, they turned not to pursue him, but to pursue their own desires. And so Paul warns the Corinthians and he warns us, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And here he quotes Exodus 32, a familiar story, right? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He comes back down in what? He comes back, I mean, he comes back down from being with God on Sinai. What does he find? The golden calf, right? Here are the people of God who are, who are supposed to be worshiping him, and they've just received the commandments, right? not supposed to have any idols. And here they are. What do they do? They make a calf, a golden calf. But it's not all bad, right? Because they said we're worshiping Yahweh. But they were worshiping him his way and they were taking idolatry. And it says they got up to play, which is really a euphemism for for an orgy. And here they are. Moses is gone for just a short period of time and here these people are falling back into idolatry. Now, this is maybe particularly poignant for the fir- first Corinthians church, right? The Corinthian church, because they are what? They're in a society full of idol worship. In fact, their problem, it seems like some of them we talked earlier were actually going into the, to the feasts in the temple and how easy it is to get drawn back into Worship. Worshipping idols. And remember, God is not just interested that you worship him. He's also interested in that you worship him as he declares you should worship him. He's not interested in you worshiping his way, your way. He wants you to worship him his way. Right? They were worshiping what? Yahweh. But he judged them. God wants you to worship him his way. You can't go into a pagan temple and fall down and bow to a, a pagan idol and worship demons and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we don't live in a day and age with, with, with idols. We don't go to the temple and we don't bow down. But if there's anything that we place in our hearts before the Lord Jesus Christ, that's an idol. Any desire we have, Anything that we would sin to get or sin not to get is an idol. And we have those idols pop up in our lives all day long. Maybe we want respect, right? Maybe we want more money. Maybe we want love. Whatever that thing is, whatever we place before God and his glory is an idol, and he says to the Corinthians, what? Don't, don't be like idol worshipers. Don't fall into this. And so too for us, we must make sure that we don't have idols in our heart, things that we hang on to, that we prefer to God's glory and obedience to him. And then he says, "Nor let us act immorally as some did, and twenty three thousand fell in one day now it's interesting immorality is always placed together with idolatry, right because often what in in pagan worship part of part of pagan worship was immorality, right You had temple prostitutes and you worshiped that way you gave money that's how they worked. This is why Israel was so Often into idolatry. It wasn't that there was such per- per- persuasive arguments. It's that paganism appealed to the flesh, and so he says, "Don't fall into what immorality." As some of them did, and twenty-three thousand fell on one day. He says Israel fell into this. They fell into immorality. Now, there's some debate here as to which passage he's talking about. Some will say, well, that's actually Exodus 32. And they would say, well, 3,000 died. You know, 3,000 were killed and then we don't have it said in scripture, but 20,000 must have died from the plague. Others say, well, no, this is actually Numbers 25 uh, where they were marrying the Moabite women. And they say... That's what's taking place. So, 20, But it says in the Old Testament that 24,000 died. So maybe that means that 23,000 died on that day and 1,000 died later. But after careful study and, and looking very deep into language, I, I have discovered that uh, there's no conclusion here. We're not really sure, Right. But we do know this, whether they rounded the numbers up or round, one rounded up and one rounded down, we do know that the point doesn't change, does it? God judged immorality. And he killed many people because he took it seriously. And so he he warns the church in Corinth, you've come from a culture that is inundated with sexuality, with worship and paganism that includes all of that. Stay away. Israel did it and God judged him. And guess what? Don't think that you in Corinth will get away with it. And don't you think that you'll get away with it today? God sees that sin just as seriously today as he did back then. And then he says, Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by servants. Maybe a a better translation of that would be they tested the Lord. Numbers 21 gives us a story behind this reference. They were destroyed by servants. And the people spoke against Moses and God and they brought who... Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food in no water, and we loathe this miserable food. We loathe it. A deep emotional reaction, a repulsion of the object. And here are these people who are God has provided for them, and what are they doing? They loathe it. They hate it. And instead of serving God and doing everything they, they can... They're not satisfied. They complain. They're questioning God's goodness. They're trying his patience. They have no concern for pleasing God, only for pleasing themselves. They didn't use their freedom to serve him better, but to demand that he serve them better. And so they wanted to try to get what they could from God. After all, He needed to please them. Starting to sound a little bit like the Corinthians church, isn't it? Christians sometimes use their freedom to push God to the limit, trying to see how much they can get out of him and how much they can get by with before him. reminded of Ananias and Sapphira, right? Sold some property. We're going to give money to the church. They withheld some, which was their right, but they lied about it, right? Pushing God, testing God, and God slew them because they lied to the church, to the Holy Spirit. And so he says, listen, this is the result of being overconfident is What? giving into the flesh, idolatry, immorality, testing God. And then lastly, he says, nor grumble as some of them did and was destroyed by the destroyer. This this seems kind of, maybe you could translate this complaining. This seems kind of I don't know, kind of vanilla after what we've been through, doesn't it? Complaining, really? I mean, at least it wasn't idolatry. At least it wasn't immorality, right? Just complaining? Yeah. In fact, they were destroyed by the destroyer. It says, again, again, in number 16, all the congregations of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, you are the ones we have caused the death of the Lord's people. In other words, this was the sons of Korah, right? They rebelled against Moses' leadership and Aaron. They said, you're keeping all the leadership to yourself. They went before God to see who was right. God opened up the land, opened up the the, the ground, right? Consumed them for grumbling. And they were dissatisfied with God's sovereign will for their lives. They were complaining. They were challenging his wisdom, his grace, his goodness, his love, his righteousness. Righteousness. And so God destroyed them. Listen to this. Complaining dishonors our heavenly father. Contentment glorifies him. Quite a phrase, isn't it? Our our need for contentment is not merely for our own well-being. Which it is but it is for God's honor and glory. And he said, these people fell into complaining and God judged them. And so instead of praising God for what he had done and, and being thankful, they complained. They had all of these privileges of being God's people. Can you imagine a people that had the true god who had god communicating with their leaders and to them and telling them what he wanted and yet instead of following him they fell into sin they gave into their flesh they were overconfident because after all and you'll see this over and over they were god's people they were god's elect how could how could god get rid of them And yet God punished many of them and took a whole generation and laid them to rest. Paul's point is this. If God called Israel out to be his people and he set aside a whole generation because of their disobedience, because they were overconfident using their freedoms not to serve God, but to serve themselves. Will he certainly not do the same to those who follow in their footsteps? Well, we've seen the cause. We've seen the consequence. Now we're going to see the cure. How do we make sure that we don't become like the Israelites? How do we learn from from them? Well, he says now in verse 11, now these things happened as an example and they're written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Basically says, listen, remember your history. Remember your history. This is why we read scripture because we see how God behaves and how he acts in history. And he says, here's a history lesson. Remember what happened with Israel. Don't be short sighted. We have a society that wants to rewrite history, right? They want you to forget about history so they can give you a new one. Well, God tells you, guess what? History is written. It's his story, and you need to remember it. And one of your protections is to, re- to go back and look how God has dealed with his people in the past. And he says, remember this, keep this close. Keep it close he says it these were written for our instruction you need to learn from it that example that we see we must learn upon whom the end of the ages have come simply saying we're that generation right we are on the last days we are in that the last days we're in the last age before christ returns So he says, remember. And then he says, secondly, be watchful. How are you going to cure? What's the cure? Remember, be watchful. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Really, we could say this is the central theme of this passage. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. In other words, be watchful. Let him who thinks he stands. The guy who has thought in his head, he's come to an opinion, he supposed he's come to a conclusion about himself. Says, The guy who thinks this, this is his prevailing idea, he says, Guess what? If you think that you stand, if you think that you stand fast, you stand firm, he says, Take heed. It means to be aware, watch, see. Indicates the need not only to watch, but be continually watchful. You could translate this verse this way. If anyone has the opinion of himself that he is standing strong and firm, he needs to be continually watchful and always be on his guard, lest he trip, stumble, and fall from his overconfident position and take a nosedive, downward to a serious crash. In other words, you need to be vigilant. You need to watch your heart. Don't think that you've achieved. Don't think that you're strong. Don't think that somehow you're beyond temptation, that you're beyond falling, that somehow you're strong enough. And though other believers can't go where you walk, you can you might be able not be able to go to the temple but I can. Right? You might not be able to go in that neighborhood but I can. He says be careful, be watchful. Right? Pride comes before a fall. Don't believe that somehow you're so strong that you can't fall. Always be watching, always be careful, always be alert. We must never become so smug that we fall into complacency. Because just like the city of Sardis, right? We will fall. It's only a matter of when. So he says, be watchful. If you think you're strong, that should be the warning point. When you think you're strong, the alarm bell should be going off that's a five alarm fire you're headed for a nose dive downward to a serious crash and then lastly he says really remember your resources remember your resource he says this no temptation has overtaken you but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you will be able to what? Endure it. Endure it. You might say, Well, man, I'm scared. I don't want to be like the Israelites. I don't want to fall. I don't want to be set aside. I don't want to be unable to be used by God. And I appreciate because I can remember. I, but how do I know if I'm watchful enough? How do I know I'll be successful? And Paul says, ultimately, guess what? The battle is God's. The battle is God's. You can't do this on your own. You're incapable of doing this in your own. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But he says, God will help you. Now listen to this. He says, no temptation has taken you, but such as common to man. This word for temptation, again, could be translated test. Test. And he says, there's no test, there's no trial that comes into your life, but such as common to man. In other words, common to humanity. So I just want you to know that, I hate to say this, and you don't probably say this from the pulpit often, you're not special. You're just normal, right? He says, common to all men. So your temptation and your problems, you're not special. You're just part of humanity, and nothing that you have had come into your life is different than anybody else has experienced, right? Somebody somewhere has experienced the same thing. So you don't get a special dispensation or a special little card that says, well, this is my weakness and it, nobody else has ever had this problem. Sorry, we don't hand the Bible doesn't hand out those cards, He says, there's no temptation, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. There's your key. God is faithful. He is the one who will keep you. He is faithful to his character. He's faithful to his promises, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able. Now, remember, God does not tempt. James tells us that he cannot be tempted. Neither is he tempted. But God does allow tests to come in your life. And those tests he gives you are, is so that you will what? Pass them. He expects you to pass them. He's going to give you the grace to go through them. Now, say, he may allow Satan to bring those things into your life. And Satan is, is tempting you because he wants you to fall. But God is allowing that test so that you what? You pass it. So that you might build endurance, right? Right that you might grow spiritually, that your character might be formed and you start to, to, to act Christ-like in all of those situations. So he says, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God will never put a test in your life that he does not give you the resources to overcome. He always gives us enough Resources and power by his spirit to overcome it. He says, But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. Oh great, I can run away from it not so fast, so that you will what? Be able to endure it. God does not take you out from underneath the testing. He walks with you through it. And he says, God will be the one who is faithful to give you the strength to be able to be obedient in all situations. And he says, I can even help you with overconfidence and I can help you with, with, with self-control so that you don't fall into these sins and he said, I will never send anything into your life that I have not provided you the grace to be obedient to me through it. And so he says, here's the cure for overconfidence is what? Dependence. Dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, you don't want to be set aside in ministry. You don't want to be set aside from God's purposes. You don't want to be disqualified from the race, as he talked about earlier. He says, here's the key. The faithfulness of God. If you will put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you will be dependent on him, if you allow the Holy Spirit to so convince you of the truth and righteousness that it becomes part of who you are, you will not give in to overconfidence and sin and be removed from youthfulness from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul gives this warning to the Corinthians. He says, look at Israel. God set them aside. Don't you think that God won't set you aside if you continue to use your freedoms and your liberties to sow to your own flesh? But he says, if you will heed this warning, if you will be watchful, and if you will what? Remember your resource and be dependent on, On the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, You don't have to fear. You have the power to be obedient and to be used so that you won't be disqualified from His service. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word, we thank you for its clarity. I pray that you would give us a willingness to be dependent upon our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would do whatever is necessary in our own lives. So that we will not presume upon your grace. That we will not fall into sin and feed our flesh. But we will use our freedom and our position in Christ to serve you. And that we will be able to be used for you, not for us, but for your glory, I pray in your name. Amen.